Well, if you're new here, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the, the pastors here. And man, I got I to I gotta tell you something before we start here. The, the craziest thing happened to me a couple of weeks ago. I mean, it was wild. I was driving home from, from work. I work here in this building. I was driving home. I, I live in Wolferth. And so I was going home and I got, I got to the Milwaukee overpass, okay? And I'm driving in my truck and right on top of the overpass from under on the left side comes this bird kind of right out in front of my truck followed by a hawk, okay? There's a hawk chasing a bird. Now, granted, I was going 65, maybe 70, but don't tell anybody. And I hit the hawk. All right, I don't know if you're like me when you hit a bird or whatever, it scares you at first, right? But then what do you do? You look in the rear view and you're like, man, how long is he going to be up there before he hits the ground? You know, feathers going everywhere or whatever. I hit this hawk and it was loud. And I'm looking and I see nothing. No feathers, no, no hawk body, you know, hitting the ground or whatever. Like there was nothing. And I was like, is this thing stuck to the front of my truck? Like I, I imagine like a, like a cartoon, you know, like he's just like plastered to the front, like, ah, you know. And so I get home and I go to look, I go around the front of my truck to look, see what happened. And to my horror, the hawk was in my truck. And he was still alive. And in that moment, I learned, I'm terrified of hawks. Uh, They are frightening. And he was not very happy that he was, he didn't know what had happened. And so I, I don't know how we're going to get the thing out of there, right? And uh, so Jennifer starts calling people. She calls the, the animal rescue place, and the guy was the only one there. He couldn't leave. And then we called another guy that offered to come take it out and take it to that same place for $150. And I'm like, well, I'm going to have to buy a new grill, so I'm not really down to spend any more money on that. And so we call a game warden. They're like, we don't really do that, you know? So we drive... I mean, we drive the hawk uh, <laughs> all the way across town to the, the wildlife rescue place, and the guy gets his leather gloves on, he reaches in, he pulls it out, and it's still alive. Now, if you look into those eyes, it looks like something that was about to have dinner and then got hit by a truck, right? He's like, what just happened? But I'm happy to report he's alive and doing well. Uh, and Actually, I'm not sure if that's true or not. He may not have made it. I didn't go check up on them. Um, but I did get to donate an animal to the Wildlife Rescue Center, so that was cool. You know, what is it about a good story that everyone loves? I mean, I had you hooked from the very beginning, right? You won't believe what happened. No one ever stops there, right? You tell the story because people, people want to hear, what is it in us? Like, we're hardwired to love a good story. It's, it's, it's in our DNA. For all of human history... That's how history has been passed down is, is through the telling of stories, especially in the old days. You have, like, go way back, cave paintings, hieroglyphics. What are those? Those are stories that people are telling. We, we love stories because they're more compelling than just a list of facts. Think about that. No one wants to sit and listen to facts and figures because it's boring. You want to you hear a story. Here's some story facts for you. Do you know... of our daily conversations revolve around storytelling. Stories can actually change the way you think about things. They can change your heart, change your mind, even around a certain cause. Did you know that the diary of Anne Frank 
did more to educate people about Auschwitz than any other research on the topic. A study in, at UNC found that storytelling actually changes the way that information is processed, and, and the more absorbed you are in the story, the more the story changes you. Research has also shown that a good story, this is wild, can actually make your brain release a chemical that makes you more empathetic. Stories are important, and they're just a huge part of our lives. And you look at, look at Jesus, his teachings in the, no test, the, the New Testament, most of them are stories. I mean, what do you think a parable is? A parable is a story he's telling to, to draw the listener in, to, to, to connect with them in their, their culture, their context, to, to get them to see something they're missing. And something powerful happens when you combine the power of storytelling with the truth and the power of the gospel. It's an amazing thing. Like we said last week, you know, throughout this series, if you're, if you're passionate about something, if something has made your life better or changed you in some way, like you want to share that with other people. It's just in your DNA. And so when it comes to, to sharing Jesus with people, which most of us are not, not great at that. What's missing? I mean, has he changed your life or not? And like we talked about last week, he didn't just improve your life, like take your life from okay to a little bit better. He saved your life, not just saving you from a, from a, a physical death standpoint, but we're talking our eternal souls. Like he saved you from death. At the end of the Luke series, Clayton asks us, when was the last time you shared your faith with someone? When was the last time that you led someone to Jesus? And we've been talking about, it's not our job to do that for you. And, and a lot of people think it is, right? It is our job, Scripture says, to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And we're, we're doing our best in this series to not only convince you of that, that you're called to ministry, but also to, to equip you to where you feel like you have the tools necessary to do just that, to share the gospel with someone, to, to share your story. So last week, we got real practical, right? We talked about the Roman road, the ABCs of the gospel, so you can clearly communicate with someone what it takes to be right with God. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that, that Jesus died to pay the penalty for that sin. And that, then the C, confess. Confess that Jesus is Lord. Make Jesus Lord of your life. Today, we're gonna get even more practical because this is something that absolutely every single one of you can do, because it's just, and I, don't, I know there's a lot of students in here. It doesn't matter how old you are. Everyone can do this. Why? Because this revolves around you and your story, telling people about you and what Jesus has done in your life. And uh, it's a lot easier than you think. And we're going to work from John chapter 4. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and go there. We also have the message notes app, or in our app, message notes, you can Follow along with the scriptures. All the points are there. All the quotes are there. But in John 4, just to kind of catch you up where we are in this story, this is a story about the woman at the well. You, you've, you might be familiar with it already, but just to kind of to catch you up a little bit, if you're not, Jesus is on his way to Galilee, and scripture says that he had to go through Samaria. Now, if you were to look at his route on a map, it would have been the shortest distance for him to go through that city, but what we might miss in our context is that's not what Jewish people did. Like Samaritans and, and the Jews, they, they did not get along. In fact, Jews 
They hated the Samaritans. They, they would take longer to go around their city so they wouldn't have to step foot in it. And so most theologians think that when it says Jesus had to, it was more, more than just the fastest route. There was something else at play. In fact, the term for had to in the Greek translates to be necessary, which in scripture always indicates like, like a divine necessity, like God leading him to do something. God had something for Jesus in Samaria. So he, he was compelled. He had to go through. And in verse seven, it says, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now, again, in our context, our culture, one thing we might miss is Jesus has absolutely zero reasons to be in this spot and having this conversation with this woman. We, we talked about him being a Jew, her a Samaritan, but on top of that, he's a male. And he's single, he's religious. On top of that, he's Jewish. Like these were clearly defined like social boundaries that would keep him from having the conversation that he's having in this moment. So again, what do you think was motivating him? Divine necessity. Jesus himself said, I only go where the Father says to go. I only say what the Father says to say. Sometimes obedience to God compels you to go in different directions than you might normally go. So as a first century reader, reading about this story, this gospel, in, in the gospels, this story of Jesus and this woman, like you, it would have your attention, right? Because it's like, what is he even doing talking to this woman? Another thing we have to realize, it told us he was there at this well at noon, at noon, in the heat of the day. Now, normally in that culture, women would go draw water for their families, for their, their homes or whatever, early in the morning or at dusk. You, you want to avoid the heat of the day, so they would go at these other times. But here this woman is coming to draw water in the heat of the day. See, Jesus knows, and, and this is something we're about to find out, this woman was living in hiding in her own town. She came out when no one else would be around. She was living in Shame. And in verse 10, Jesus tells her, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. Man, she almost had it, right? We lost her there at the end. Like, she's, she's confused. She's still thinking about actual water. And Jesus is telling her, like, listen, if you only knew the gift that God has for you, this, this term gift is used 
in association with the, the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit in us. It, even the Old Testament uses the metaphor of living water to describe the spiritual cleansing and new life that comes through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit that, that is within us. She, she, he's talking to her about this new life that's available to her and that he himself is the source of this new life. He is the living water. She's like, sir, give me this water because that sounds great. I don't want to have to come here and draw, draw water anymore. She's thinking literally. She's thinking about literally getting water, drinking water, never having to thirst again. Not even realizing that her soul is dying of thirst, is parched. She doesn't even realize what she's, she's missing here. This, this story has some, some parallels with the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus, this is a, the previous chapter, chapter 3, Nicodemus is a Pharisee that comes to Jesus in the dead of night, like in the darkness, right? Not wanting to be seen, talking to him because he was a Pharisee, but he was curious. And he goes to Jesus and he says, you're here to teach us, right? You, you have an amazing message and clearly God is with you. And to that, Jesus says, nothing will skip here. Jesus says, to enter his kingdom, you must be born again. So, so Jesus answers a question he didn't even ask, which is something he likes to do. And it confuses Nicodemus. He says, how is that possible? Why is he saying that? Because he's thinking of a literal, a grown man being birthed again, right? Like he's like, how is this possible? The same thing is happening here. He's talking about living water. She doesn't even realize that she is lacking. So what does Jesus do? Kind of what he did to Nicodemus. Go get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Here, Jesus does, again, what Jesus does. He gets right to the heart of the matter. He wastes no time. He, he, he puts his finger right on the source of her pain and her embarrassment, her her shame, the very reason that she's there at this time of day, hiding from everyone in her, her village. Like he, he calls it out just like that, man, calls out her sin. At the very beginning of our City Minute video, you might have heard um, Jacob talking about one of our City 7 core values, and that's grace and truth. We want to be a church of grace and truth. Why, why is that? Because Jesus, Scripture tells us, was full of grace and truth. He was full of, of grace. Like he wasn't afraid to hang out with sinful people. He wasn't ashamed in this moment to, to be with this sinful woman when he, sh he shouldn't have been, you know, according to everyone else. But at the same time, he's still not afraid to call a sinner a sinner. You've heard us say that, you know, he went to dinner with sinners, but he still called a sinner a sinner. This is what he's doing right here. He, he's, he's showing this woman grace by even having the conversation with her. But then he calls out her sin. That's what he does. Even though she wasn't lying, she wasn't telling the whole truth. And you, you have, to, you have to, to imagine that everything in her wanted to keep this thing a secret, especially from this guy that she doesn't know, that she knows is some kind of religious person, probably a prophet, she's about to say. But he, he forces her to meet it head on to deal with it. He, he drags it out from the darkness into the light. No more running. No more hiding. 
And then the next few verses, I'll just summarize. We don't have time to get into all of it, but there's a lot there. She acknowledges, okay, you're probably a prophet because he knew about her. Then she asked him the questions about where's the right place to worship, like which temple, in this place or in this place, whatever. They had some disagreements about where they should worship. And Jesus basically tells her, listen, pretty soon this whole temple thing won't even matter, okay, because, because I'm here to start something brand new. She, she's about to find out that he's here to do away with that whole system. And soon, because of what Jesus was there to do, we wouldn't have to go to a temple to worship. We wouldn't need a priest to worship. Because of what Jesus was about to do, we could then go directly to the God of the universe ourselves. Go boldly to his throne. She's kind of at a crossroads here. So she she has to realize, like, like any other sinner, she has to understand a couple things before she can have a relationship with God through Jesus. She has to admit her sin. Like we talked about last week, she had to admit that she was sinful and she had to recognize her savior. He's standing right in front of her. The ABCs, like we talked about last week, the, the last step is confess, right? Confess that he is Lord and that's coming up next. Spoiler alert, verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. So he comes out, he comes out and tells her, I am that Messiah that you are waiting for. She has just met him, the Christ, and her response is belief. She believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. How do we know? We, we know because of what she does next, right? She joins a good church. She buys some more modest clothes. She makes some new friends. She stops going out on Saturday night. She puts a fish on her car. She joins a women's Bible study. She starts posting constant religious memes on Facebook. Or maybe, this is my favorite one, maybe a, her favorite verse with a, a selfie that's way too filtered. Uh, side note, can we stop doing that, please? I mean, that verse has nothing to do with your face. I promise. She didn't do any of those things. What did she do? Verse 28. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. My goodness, she left everything and ran. Didn't even take her water. She was there to get water. She, she can't even be slowed down enough to take the water or let me drop the water off at my house first. She, she ran directly into the village, left everything behind. Literally the only thing in that, ma- that moment that mattered was telling everyone what had just happened. She didn't wait for training. She didn't wait for God to call her to reach her village. She didn't wait for a church to pop up there so some preacher could reach the village, right? She, she went herself. She ran, and, and don't miss this. Who did she run to? She ran straight to the people she was hiding from. It kind of seems like in that moment that the only thing that mattered was telling them what, what Jesus had done in her life. Like her shame isn't enough to stop her. She runs straight to the people that were the source of her, her, her ridicule and her shame. 
Like we talked about last week, you know, like there's people all across the world right now dying for their faith. And we, as, as Americans in our life of luxury, aren't even willing to be embarrassed for our faith. And here she's, none of that matters to her. Jesus has done something in her that completely transforms her into a person willing to run straight up to them and say, come and see. I love this quote from John Morris. He said, she abandoned the bringing of water for the bringing of men. That's all that mattered. Even the ones that had hurt her. And in verse 39, what's the result? Many Samaritans from the village believed. She ran. She said, come and see. And people got saved. See, most people don't need more information about Jesus to try to convince them of something. They, they need to have their own experience with him. And note how, how smart she was. She believed he, he told her he was the Messiah, but she goes to them and says, what? Come and see this man Maybe he's the Messiah, you know, but he's done something in me and he can do the same thing in you. Like it all revolved around her story to come see for themselves what he had done. He, he's done this for me. He can do the same for you. Come and see. I mentioned Nicodemus earlier, just to compare and contrast again. Remember the Pharisee, He's only mentioned three times, and only in John's gospel. He's mentioned with, with the born-again thing. He shows up later at Jesus' trial to kind of give a, a little slight uh, defense of Jesus, just a little bit, and then he shows up at Jesus' burial, right? But remember, he came, he came in the dead of night. And there's, there's no record, I guess, of him ever, maybe after Jesus was raised from the dead, he might have turned into, you know, an apostle or something, or someone that was sharing the, the gospel with people. We don't, we don't really know, but compare that to, to this woman who didn't come in, in the middle of the night. She was out in the day. Jesus came to her. She was the least qualified, probably to be used by God. Jesus reads her mail, the good, bad, and ugly, right, drags it all right out in the open, right out in the light of day, and her story meant the village got saved. Okay, so on paper, who are the most qualified to be used by God in, in the New Testament? You have to say the religious leaders, right? The Pharisees, Sadducees, teachers of the law, the scribes, like they knew God's word. They had it memorized. But in Jesus' kingdom, the upside down kingdom, he uses foolish things to confound the wise. He uses the least likely and he does it over and over and over again. I mean, the Bible is full of them. Let's just kind of hit the greatest hits here. You've got David. David was, was the youngest of all, he was the youngest of all his brothers. He had seven older brothers that Samuel came to look, see who was going to be the next anointing. They didn't invite him to the meeting. He was out in the pasture. Oh, by the way, adults were a murderer. Joseph, again, the, the least likely for God to do anything with. His brothers sell him out, sell him into slavery. He, he, he ends up a slave and falsely accused of rape and, and, and thrown into prison and just mistreated at every turn. Everything was kind of going against him, yet God, through his faithfulness, still uses him to save an entire region from a famine, including his own family. You have Mary, very poor, like, like a nobody. 
And God chooses her to carry and deliver the Son of God. You have Peter, who's just a fisherman, but was kind of a loud mouth. He had a hard time controlling his tongue. He had a hard time controlling his temper. Yet Matthew was a tax collector, literally in his tax booth when Jesus called him to follow me, the most hated of all Jewish people because they, they cheated people out of money. And now you have the woman at the well. Who in that village would have been the most likely for Jesus to use to reach that village? It wouldn't have been her. And yet, he used her. Why? Because she was willing. She left everything and she ran to tell her story. See, here's the big secret of the, this upside-down kingdom. is the only requirement to be great in the kingdom of God and to be used by God to do incredible things is to say yes. That's it. There, there is no limit to what God can do through somebody that is just willing. Yes, God, I'll, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. Like when your story stops being about you and becomes about him, his, your story becomes his story, there is no limit to what God can do through you. And how many of us ever see that play out in our own lives? Let me tell you the story of Jackie Pollinger. She was a British missionary. She was saved years ago in kind of a miraculous way, but, but she says she, she, she was saved and she had this joy, right? Because she realized that she would have eternal life. And she says this, it lasted about 10 seconds. She says, it dawned on me that some won't have it. It's funny, they were eating dinner and her friends were eating this, this risotto. Yeah? And she, she looks at them and she's like, how can you eat risotto when people are going to hell? And so she literally gets on a, a boat and God tells her, I'll tell you where to get off. And she ends up in Hong Kong. And she goes into the, the most difficult, most dangerous parts of Hong Kong and starts ministering to people. And she starts ministering to, to people that are addicted to drugs. And now she, to this day, this was in the late 60s, she has a huge ministry in Hong Kong ministering to people with drug addictions. They, they, they bring these people into these housing units and they have real encounters with God, like they're, they're having encounters with God's Holy Spirit where they're, they're delivered from their drug addiction with no withdrawals. I mean, it's incredible. She's making such an impact in that area that the government, Hong Kong, is giving her land to build these units. She's just a lady that said yes to God. And look what God has done through her. He, he may not call you to Hong Kong, but he is absolutely 100% calling you to your friends and your family members, people in your life that you love that need Jesus. He is calling you. He's, you are on mission. That, that is your ministry. That is your life calling. That is God's will for you. Jackie said, as she was going to Hong Kong, it would be worth my life if you would just use me to save just one. And the same is true for you. That's our big idea. As we close this series, our big idea today is just share your story. 
Did you know that your story is the most powerful tool that you have at your disposal to be used by God? And only you can do it. You can't share someone else's story. Someone else can't share your story. Your story is yours. And when your story becomes his, amazing things happen. It's custom tailored for you to be able to share with people with conviction, right? It's like a fingerprint. It only belongs to you and it's yours for a reason and that's to bring him glory. Like we've been sharing this verse every single week. 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Through who? Not just Paul, not just Clayton, like all of us. He's making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Like he is making his appeal, not just to the world. That's a little too general, right? He is making, hear me. He is making his appeal to your friends and your family through you. Through you. You are his ambassador. You speak for Christ when you plead, come back to God. And if not you, then who? Your story is a huge part of that. So let's think about, again, let's get practical. How do we share our story? Well, let's think about it, right? Maybe you've never really put it together. Like, what? how would you share that with somebody? You know, it might turn into like a three-hour story like no one wants to hear, right? So maybe you haven't thought about how to do it concisely. Well, let's, let's talk about it. You have to craft your story. There, there are three main components when it comes to your story. You have before Christ, like who were you before you met Jesus? What was your life like? And then meeting Christ, like what was your conversion experience like? Like how did you even come to know that, man, something's missing. I, I, I need Jesus in my life. That's a big part of your story. And then after Christ, what has God done in your life since? How, how are you different now than you were before? That's your, your story. And you, you kind of get all those things together, not just in your own head, but write it down. Write it down. I mean, there's nothing unspiritual about crafting your story and writing it down and being ready to share it, right? There's nothing unspiritual about that. All that does is prove that you're ready. And you remember like we talked about last week, we are called to be ready. First Peter chapter three, verse 15. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it, but do it in a gentle and respectful way. Be ready, write it down, craft your story, be, be ready. You never know when it's gonna come up. When you have that opportunity to be like, can I tell you what's happening in my life? And then boom, you're ready to go. Followers are fishers. There's no way around this. Followers are fishers. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. Disciples make disciples. We've been talking about this for weeks and weeks and weeks. Like the first thing that has to happen in us is we have to be awakened to the urgency of the message that we carry, the urgency of the gospel, the, the urgency for that emergency. A couple weeks ago at Church on the Rock, Clayton stood up and talked about this, this, this urgency that, that given his diagnosis that he senses in this, like he has this newfound urgency to share truth, the truth of God's word. And he doesn't really care all that much how it's received or, or how he, what someone's reaction might be. Like 
He doesn't really care what somebody's going to think of him. He's got this, this urgency that we, he said that night, we all should have. Why? Because we all, all of us, 100% of us have a death sentence. We just don't know when it's coming. Where, where's our urgency to share? We, we, we don't always get that deathbed experience with someone that we love. So that's why, again, all of us have people in our lives that don't know Jesus. We do. And that's why every single believer should have a names list. This is kind of the second half of this, this thing. You know, be ready to share your story. We, we've equipped you with the ABCs of the, the Roman road. And now, who are you going to share with? Well, have a names list. Write the names down. I, I guarantee you, if you start thinking about it, even if you just hang out with church people, Probably some of them need Jesus. But even if you have mostly Christian friends, if you sit down and think about it, you'll come up with five, six, eight, 10, 15, a lot. People you're close to where, where you know they're not right with God or at the very, very least, you're, you're uncertain where they stand, right? That, that's enough. That's enough to put them on the list. Write them down. Put them where you can see them. Tape them to, write them down, tape them to a mirror or something. Or put them on your dashboard or whatever. Like when your alarm goes off at 10 a.m. every day, what do you do? You pray for, for Clayton. And, and your name's list, every time you see it, that's, that's a indication to you, like it's time to pray for my friends on this list. Pray for them by name. Pray that God will give you opportunities to share with them. Uh, take some kind of step within that, some kind of baby step in that direction. Maybe that's, you know, texting them like, hey, thinking about you, let me know if I can do anything for you. Or, hey man, I'm praying, is there some way I can be praying for you? Like, baby steps where, where, where they know where you stand and you can start looking for opportunities in that relationship. And then our challenges we've been sharing every single week. Invite someone to church. We're pretty good at that one. Pray for someone. Share your story. Take Discover 101. This is a, a basic discipleship class that we're, we're offering starting this Wednesday night. And I gotta be honest with you. After last week, uh, I looked at the registrations, Discover 101, after we, for two weeks, had been like kind of harping on it, and there were about eight people signed up, and like six of them are doing a different class now, so that was a little discouraging. I'm not, I'm not going to lie, right? Now it's up to like 18 or 20, but we have room for 50, so, so here's, what I'm, here's what I'm saying to you. I, I get, maybe you don't think that's for you, maybe it's just intimidating to you for some reason, uh, Take some friends with you, sign up, do it together, have some accountability there. Maybe you and your city group want to all take it together. We've had one group do that. Like, let's, let's just do that for the, the first six weeks or whatever it is of the, of the semester on Wednesday nights. Like, start there. Like, the, the reason we're doing this series is because Clayton is brought to us like as, as a leadership, like, our church needs this. And it's not just about you. It's, it's every believer. We, we just know Christians in our culture aren't good at this. So what do we do with that? We just let it be the way it is? No, we, we want to do something. We want to change something about us. Like, this stuff should be in our lives, like as, as a, in, our, in our daily rhythms. Just following Jesus and, and praying for people in our lives and wanting to reach them for, for Jesus. Like, that, that should be something we, we live out and think about every single day. And if it's not, how do we get there? I have a story that God has used 
to, to reach people. I, I had an addiction to pornography for almost half of my life. Even times when I was in the ministry, when I was supposed to be a pastor that had it all together. Living a, a double life, doing damage to my, my marriage. It's taken years to, to work through some of that just with counselors. And we've been through, just even in the last few years, stuff with our, our, our kids, you know, nightmare scenario stuff. Jen and I are going to celebrate 25 years this year. And our, our last five have really been the most difficult. We've both, for the first time in our lives, had been dealing with just depression, anxiety, panic attacks. God delivered me from my addiction. He's, he's still healing my marriage every, every single day, and I know he's fighting My kids. See, all of this as a pastor that's, you know, supposed to have a perfect life, supposed to have things all together. See, God gave me a platform to share my story for, for his glory, what God has done in, in our lives, how he's, he's rescued us, how he's working in us. We started a re-engage marriage ministry where I can sit that, you know, my wife and I lead together. We sit at a table with couples. And from week one, I say, this is my story. The good, the bad, the ugly. Drag it out into the light and say, this is me. And this is what God has done in my life. It's a part of, of how God has let me disciple people as I sit across from people at a coffee shop or whatever. Some of you counseling meetings or whatever, where I can share what God has done in my life to help bring people closer to Jesus, to help them overcome similar things. God has used every valley in my life to minister to other people because that's how it's supposed to work. Not because I'm a pastor, because I'm a Christian. This week, I sat across the table from a, a mentor of mine since I was a kid. I mean, I thought he was, he was perfect. And, and years ago, in the last few years, about 10 years ago, had just a, a massive failure, moral failure. I mean, I, I had him on a pedestal, you know, and I was mad. I was judgmental. He called me up and wanted to, to have lunch with me this week. And I sat across from him and with tears in his eyes, he poured out his heart, the good, the bad, the ugly, confessing everything. He shared with me, I mean, stuff I've never heard before, just his story of, of repentance and redemption and reconciliation and how God is using that pain in his life, the, the darkest of his days, to reach people for him today. And then he looked at me and said, you know, this is what it's supposed to be. I was like, what, what's supposed to be? He's like, the church. Like, this, this is what the church should be. Sitting across from someone and sharing your story being vulnerable with people, telling people the, the, the truth, not pretending like you have it all together and are perfect. People are tired of that. It's not supposed to be about some, some dude standing in front of everybody every week pretending like he's perfect. It's, it's about community and one-on-one -on -one engaging with people and sharing your story that now that God is working in your life is his story.
When, when you do that, you realize, man, we are, we're all in this thing together. We have to learn to, to share our story in the context of our, our normal rhythms of life and our normal everyday relationships. relationships. And the, the, the key to this, though, listen, you can't do this if you're pretending to be something that you're not. The, the way it works is you, you have to be living this out. You have to be following Jesus, right? Not perfect, but you have to make sure yourself, like being yourself is the real deal, being, being real. Always being on, on mission, living a, just a consistent life. Be, be like the woman at the well that, that you know, she had, a, yeah, she had her, her sin dragged out into the light. She was exposed in the best possible way, but, but Jesus dealt with that sin and, and turned her life around. And then she used that to say, come and see. Think about this. this. This is a series that if even half of the people that came to this church like took it seriously, of all the people that have heard these last three messages, let's say, I mean, probably with Hope City, probably 1,200 of you. What if every single one of you were emboldened by the Holy Spirit? You're, you're equipped, right, with the gospel message, with sharing your story. If you were released into the wild to share your story about what Jesus has done, you had this just this passion, right, for, for that that urgency for, for the emergency be like, I cannot keep silent, leaving everything you have like the woman at the well and running to people that need him. If we all had that built into our lives, it would change our city. It would change your families. So what's stopping us? That's what the church should be. That's what the first church was. We're about to get into the book of Acts starting next week. That's why we're here. That's why we have Bibles and we're, we believe that Jesus died for all. We have that message because somewhere along the way in the very beginning of the church, people set the world on fire. Our effectiveness as a church isn't about how many are in the seats, how many spectators. It's about how many disciples we are making. People in the game that, that, that want their life to be something more, right? Something more than just you that your story would become his story. In 2018, May, God, God gave me a dream. I've only had two of these in my life, and this was the second one. And it's like I'm more of a vision when I'm asleep, but God spoke to me very, very clearly in very clear pictures. That didn't make sense at the time, but, and I won't go into details, but this was, this was months after I'd, stepped away from Experience Life. I was doing construction work and I was just wondering what God's plan for my life was. Like, how did he want to use me? If it was just being a contractor, I'll do that. So I had this dream and it's all about just what was next for me in this next season. And, and it was about a, just a, a newfound uh, love and, and anointing to, to teach people, like to, a new love and appreciation and a hunger for scripture, for, for God's word that I'd never had before. And, and I've seen all of these things play out over the last five years, everything kind of coming to, to pass. But when the dream was over, I sat up in bed. It was like three o'clock in the morning. I, I reached for my phone because I knew I'd heard from God and I, I furiously like, just like typed it into my phone. 
And I asked this question of God. What does this mean, Lord? I even wrote down the question. <laughs> what does this mean, Lord? And word for word, this is as clear as I've ever heard God. It's as close to an audible voice as I could ever describe to you. But God said to me these exact words, the finding of the human lice. The finding, and I thought, that's kind of weird, right? Like, uh, but it reminds me, kind of reminds you of Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world, right? And we're supposed to take our light into the darkness, right? This was probably a month before Clayton called me about joining what he wanted to start, something new. It's before we knew what this church was going to be called, City Church, which is based on what verse? Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. We are the human lights. And we are tasked by God to take our light into the darkness. That verse goes on to say, you wouldn't cover it up, right? Who does that? No, you, you let it shine for all to see through the way you live your life. Jesus is beckoning you to shine for him. Remember, we are his ambassadors. He's making his appeal through you as you plead with people, come back to God. And again, if you don't, who will? Would you pray with me as we, as we close? Just ask God in this moment to search your heart. What is it that's holding you back? Maybe it's not living a consistent life. Maybe you might be saved, but you're not walking the walk. You're like, man, I can't use my life for a testimony. Of, I'm not even living for him. What needs to change in your life? Or is there something in your life? You're high, is there a secret sin or something that you're, you're hiding from people that you don't want to be honest about where you are in your journey? Are there certain parts of your past that, where God has delivered you from something or worked in some way, some part of your past that maybe you're ashamed of that you haven't wanted to share with people? Maybe you're just scared of being embarrassed, whatever it is. And there may be some of you here today that, like the woman at the well, you, you may not even realize how thirsty you are. Maybe you've been blinded to the fact that your life is incomplete. You're, you're, you're dying of thirst and all your spirit longs for is living water. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. He wants to start one with you today. Man, you just gotta, just gotta turn to him. I'm pleading with you, come back to God. And it's not about how good you can be. There's no way, like we talked about last week, that free gift of salvation that God is offering us is a free gift. By definition, it cannot be earned. You don't deserve it, and yet he offers it. He made the first move towards you. He, he wants a relationship with you. All you have to do is turn to him, repent of your sins, just like the woman at the well. Deal with the sin. God, forgive me of my I know my sin separates from you, separates me from you. And I, I recognize my Savior. Jesus is because of his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave as he became sin for me. Like he paid my fine. It's because of that I can have a relationship with you. So that's what I put my faith in in this moment, God. And I wanna begin a relationship with you. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. Do it today. 
We're, we're, we're here for you. We're your church family. We want to help you grow in your relationship. Take that connection card to the Next Step Center. We'd love to pray with you, to talk with you. Man, we, we are here to help you become a disciple that makes disciples. God, I pray that for all of us, we wouldn't leave this place the same way that we came. If there's something missing in us, God, I pray, I pray just again like you did with this, this woman that you would put your finger on it right now. Like, just expose it in our own hearts and say this, this is the thing that has to change. This is the thing that's keeping you in darkness, in shame, in hiding. Just let him deal with the darkest places in you and commit yourself to going. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. Let's do something different so that we can be used by God. God, use us embolden us with the, through the power of your spirit. Give us opportunities. I pray that we would all make names list this week in, in, our, in our groups. That this wouldn't be a, a flash in the pan thing, but this would be something we integrate into our daily lives, our normal flow and rhythm. We are living for you out loud for everyone to see. And we can't wait to run into the darkness and say, come and see. In Jesus' name, amen.